we covered a lot of ground last week, and um, so we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of backtracking just so we have the full uh, perspective on what it is that we need to learn uh, from, from Acts chapter 11. Now, we're in this portion of Scripture that we're referring to as the model church, okay, the model church. We're looking at the church of Antioch as an exemplar for what we should be, okay, and, and, and in terms of the New Testament church, all right, the church that is open to both the Jew and the Gentile believer, where God um, uh, is, is working a faith uh, to salvation uh, uh, scenario, there's a lot of, for us to learn in this first example of that kind of church, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. Before we get started, I had a conversation this week, and I had the privilege, even I, of, of having coffee and, uh, and coffee cake with uh, his coffee cake. It's good. Last week we talked about pork tenderloins. This week we'll talk about coffee cake. No. Um, Uriah, by the way, Uriah photo, took a photo of the pork tenderloin that I was describing this week. Uh, he went and got one, and, uh, and it's, he's testifying. It's as good as, as what I suggested it was. So just, um, And we were hanging out, and Kenny and, and uh, Pastor Billy and I were talking about how when visitors come to visit uh, MBT and Kaya, they tend to have similar experiences. After just a few visits, they usually determine whether or not this is the church home that they want. They, it doesn't take months of agonizing uh, and, and visiting before they recognize uh, whether this is a church that they want to be at or not. And, and, and an analysis of that, uh, a lot of times we'll have people that will come and visit our church that have grown up in churches, okay? And, and, and they, they're looking for a church. Maybe they just moved to Kansas City, whatever the reason might be. But when they come to visit, they're, what they're looking for is an amalgamation of all of the church experiences that they've had, and like their favorite things, they're looking for a church that, en- that encompasses all of their, uh, th- the things that they're looking for. All right? This is a certain type of person that's looking for, for a church. They're looking for all of the good experiences that they've ever had in church, and they're hoping that MBT maybe houses some of those ideals. And a lot of times, um, what they'll discover is that we, we don't have a lot of the things that they're looking for. A lot of those folks that have grown up in church, um, they've grown up under doctrines and teachings um, that have, have formed their perspective of what a comfortable church looks like, what a convenient church looks like. It's a church that generally looks and acts the way that they do, a church that reflects their character and their cultures. Okay, And, um, and, and, and I, w- I want to explain that we're not really that kind of church uh, um, there's a lot of inconvenience that comes with a church that, that is multicultural, uh, that has lots of different ages, uh, lots of different past experiences. Then there's another pers- type of person that, that comes to visit MBT. And, and this is generally a person that has very little church experience. Maybe they just got saved, right? Maybe they, they have no expectations. And they get here, and what they're looking for is purpose. Okay, they're looking for purpose. They're not necessarily looking for comfort. In fact, they might not even know what that looks like. What they're looking for is a, is a church experience that reflects what they know about Jesus Christ. Now, when we've been in Acts so far, uh, what we've talked about is that we have two examples of, of Christians in Acts chapter 11. The first example that we looked at was the, this group of Jewish Christians uh, that were going out, they were being scattered abroad, and they were going and they were only ministering to other Jews, only other Jewish people. So they're Jewish Christians who were going out and they're looking for people who are culturally like them, who have similarities to them, and they're going and they're ministering to those type of people. They have tunnel vision, okay, based on their previous experiences, their previous traditions. And then you have this other group of people that somehow end up in Antioch of all places. It's like one of the worst places on earth for a Christian to be. The heathen are everywhere, it's, it's vile, it's disgusting, and, um, and sinful, and that's where they go to minister. And they're not setting out to minister to any, any certain type of person necessarily. They're going to preach the gospel. They're going to win souls. And so what we see is two different types of churches that are starkly contrasted to one another. And by that, we're actually learning what it looks like to be a discipleship oriented church, a discipleship-oriented church. 
Matthew 28, 18. Some of you guys know this passage. You're familiar with it. It's the Great Commission. All right? Now listen to what the Great Commission is. Okay, this is God's charge, Jesus Christ's charge to the people that follow Him. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even uh, unto the end of the world. Now there's a lot to cover there, but I want to point out that, that Jesus Christ calls His disciples to go to all the nations. And He says, I'll be with you. And He's giving them the task of teaching. And so there's things here that we see in the, in, in the way in the calling, in the Great Commission. There's things that we see here that are exemplified in the church of Antioch, and I want to break that down for us today, and I want us to learn for it from it and recognize uh, how we can grow based on what we see. Are you hearing me? Okay, so let's pray again, and then we'll look at verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for all these young people that are gathered together. Uh, that are ready to hear from your book. Lord, I'm thankful for the visitors that are here today. Um, Lord, I, I, I do pray that they would recognize that we love them, that we're thankful that they're here. We're, we're grateful that, that they're here. But God, I also I pray that they would understand that, that we're, we're striving to be a type of church that is willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. And we're all growing in how to do that, and, and none of us are the standard for that living. None of us have it figured out. Uh, we are weak. Um, we are proud. Um, we are incapable. Uh, but Lord, I do pray that it would be impressed upon their hearts and their minds. Every visitor, every person who's been coming for a few months, anyone who just signed up for cost of discipleship or has been through discipleship, someone who's six lessons in, that they would learn that we are a church that is devoted to the teaching and the training of people that they might be sent out into all the world, that they would be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. And our standard is Jesus Christ. Our standard is Jesus Christ, and He just happened to, to be killed on the cross. And He just happened to die for all mankind. And Lord, if that's our example, Lord, teach us how to die to self and to our conveniences and to our comforts and the things that we're striving for, that we might live the way that, you would, that You've asked us to live that we might take the gospel to all the nations. Would you help us with that? Would you help us to learn that? Would you provoke us to that kind of living? We pray in Jesus' na uh, name, amen. amen. Acts eleven nineteen. we learned that the very first thing about the church of Antioch that we see is that they have a radical approach to evangelism. A radical approach to evangelism. Verse 19 says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the perse persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And this is what we talked about previously, is that there's this group of Jewish believers that are going to, to people groups. They want to share the gospel. Listen, they're well-intentioned. I'm not robbing them of that. They desire to preach the gospel, but they're only willing to go to certain people that are more comfortable for them to preach to. Does that make sense? And man, we're, we're a nation full of that kind of Christian. Well-intentioned believers who, who desire to share the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, but they aren't really willing to break free from their cultural perspectives in order to go to people that need to hear the gospel. And so they're limited. They're boxed in. And then we have another example. It's this group of people who go to Antioch. It says that... that some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, the people groups that were not like them, okay, the pagans, the wicked, the heathen, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And we talked about last time we came together, we talked about the American church a little bit. And we discussed how there's a culture of Christianity in America that looks a little bit different than what we're seeing here among these folks that went to Antioch. There's a, there's a cultural standard in Christianity today in America that looks like um, marketing. Right? 
instead of, instead of winning souls, they're looking for visitors. Instead of winning souls and evangelizing and going to the lost, they're stealing from other churches, the fruit of other churches, in order to draw people into the, in masses into their building, into their pews. There's a lot, listen guys, and I don't know if you've really looked at this or you've analyzed this or look at how churches work today, but churches grow because they're about the work of stealing Christians away from other churches. Now there's, there's nothing wrong with a, with a Christian going from one church to another if they're looking for, for, for something deeper, something greater. They're looking to be empowered by the Word of God so that they might grow in a, in a unique, unique way. I grew up in a church that preached the gospel, that loved the Lord, okay? It was a bunch of, of white hairs, okay? I was a teenager, and they, everyone there was old. They were a little bit legalistic, a little bit set in their ways. And when I was 16, I was looking for a church that would help me grow, and I had to leave that church to find a new church. Okay, that's one thing. But what we're doing today in, in American Christianity is that we're pull, pulling people away from other churches, who won that soul, the God used to win that person's heart, who were teaching and training, and we're pulling them to our churches for no other reason that we just be bigger. I, I, I'm not hearing any amens. I, maybe this is like, I don't maybe I'm hurting people's feelings this morning. I'm just telling you the things that I've observed look a lot like what I'm seeing from those Jewish believers. Okay? Now, that's a, that's a growth approach not an evangelism approach. That's a growth approach, not an evangelism approach. And what we're talking about is we're talking about a soul-winning approach to church ministry. That's what we're striving for. That's the model that we see here in Acts chapter 11. This church in Antioch is desiring to, to go to the lost and win souls that they might be discipled and built up. That's what we see and that's what Kaya's approach is going to be. And we talked about that last week. We have a, a, a strategic approach to going to the, to the least of these and winning souls that they might be drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what Friends of Internationals is. That's what our Bible studies are. That is what discipleship is. That is what LFBI is. That is our strategic approach to going to the least of these and drawing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to win souls. We want to win souls. So key point number one was to effectively preach the gospel. We will need to break from cultural Christianity. We're going to have to get away from our, our ideas of what Christian evangelicalism is. And many of you, you've grown up in that. I mean, it's all over you. The residue of it is all over you. And it's hard for you to see what a radical approach looks like. It's new, and that's okay. We're all learning. We're all growing in this area. But as, as a church and as a ministry, we are, going to, we are going to preach the gospel. And we're going to do it in a way that breaks from what we see in cultural Christianity. We're going to break from that. Next, we looked at how the church in Antioch had right leaders. It had right leaders. Verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent for Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Okay, so the church in Jerusalem is hearing about what's happening in Antioch, and they say, well, we need to send someone who is a good leader, who can go and shepherd over this people, and invest in them in a way that will help them to grow. Okay, so that's a good thing. So they send Barnabas, we talked about his name means the son of rest, and he comes to this people in Antioch. And there's a few things that we learn about who he is in terms of his leadership that I think is super important to the leadership of this ministry. The first thing that we saw is that he was glad. He was a person of gladness. Okay, it says, Who when he came and had seen the grace of God upon this church was glad. He was a man of hope. He was a man of positivity. He was a man that didn't focus on the weaknesses or the difficulties of the work ahead. Every ministry has difficulties, yeah? Anytime you have a room full of culturally diverse people coming from different backgrounds and different experiences, they're going to bring with them their baggage. They're going to bring with them their struggles. 
They're going to bring with them all of the difficulties that come with being a human being in flesh. And what we need to do as leaders is not focus on that baggage and not focus on those difficulties and not strive in our flesh to fix those things. But we need to focus on the hopefulness that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that grace is sufficient. Okay? That God's hand of blessing and His love is sufficient for healing human souls. And we ought not focus our attention on the hurdles. We need to focus our attention on the finish line. We need to focus our attention on the vision that's set before us. And when we do that, we will be filled with gladness knowing that God can overcome all difficulty. We need to be leaders that are full of gladness. The focus on what God is doing, not the struggle. Man, guys, isn't it so easy in ministry, especially when leaders like get together and they're like sharing their prayer requests? It's really easy to gripe about the difficulty that comes with, with being in ministry. There is a difficulty. There's a reality to ministry that's just hard. And there will be days where you struggle with faith and struggle with hope and you question whether or not this person's going to make it. Man, listen to me. There are so many people in this room right now where there were moments where I and other people thought to themselves, I don't know if this person's going to make it. No, I never thought that about Brian. There were some hurdles, though. Were there not? There were hurdles. But you know what? In faith, we we ran the race together. And there was always hope. It took two years. It took two years. But, man, every bit of it was good. And I'm glad for it. And I pray to God that, that, um, that people see gladness in me. I pray that. It can be hard. There are times of tears. There are times of brokenness. There are times of questioning before the Lord. But listen to me. There's always hope. There's always hope. So that's what we see in in Barnabas. We see gladness in him because he sees what God is doing. Next we see his purpose. Listen to what he says. This is his communication to the church in Antioch. This this young church, young believers. He says, it says, and exhorted them. He exhorted them that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And that ultimately is the counsel that we ought to give one another. That is the exhortation that we should be calling one another to. To all of the young believers, we ought to be saying, listen, I love you. It's time to learn what an intimate walk with Jesus Christ looks like. It's time to break free from religion and focus on a relationship. It is time to seek the Lord and know Him. And if we do that together, things are going to end up amazing. This will be an exciting ride that we go on and so what he's doing is he's focusing his uh, exhortation in the church of Antioch on cleaving to the Lord and relationship with Jesus Christ and again if you're not glad I don't know if that's the message that comes out of your mouth I think a lot of times when you're struggling you're using man's advice to get through You're, you're using worldly wisdom to make it we ought to focus our counsel and our exhortation on calling people to cleave unto the Lord. Next, he was a man of goodness. Verse 24, he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And we talked about how each of those things are connected to one another. Okay? Each of those things are connected to one another. You know what? We can't be good. The Bible teaches that we cannot be good in and of ourselves. There's no way of being good. There's there's no amount of hard work or sitting in church services that's going to get you to a place of goodness. You're, 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 you're depraved. <laughs> like, you're absolutely wicked. And you know if you're left to your own devices, you will always turn back to sin. There's nothing good in you. Okay? The goodness in you comes from the Lord. The goodness in you comes from Jesus Christ. And you know what it requires here? I don't want to ruffle feathers here. It wasn't just that, 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 that Jesus Christ just made him good, right? It wasn't the sovereign hand like saying, good now. <laughs> you are now good. That's, that's not how this worked. This isn't some sort of forced 
thing. Listen, it says that Barnabas was good and he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. In other words, Barnabas had determined that he would believe God. He had determined that. He had determined that. I will believe God. And in so doing, he yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelt his life, filled his life, empowered him, and God made him good. So Barnabas determined that he would be full of faith. And then God determined that he would be good. That's how that works. That's how we enter into goodness is faith and filling with the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? You guys seem really, really dead today. I mean, I, I know that Billy beat you up down the street real good. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we've got a new machine gun. That's machine gun preaching. He, that puts Alan Shelby to shame. That's true. He shot us all with a machine gun, a pretend machine gun in service. Um, okay, so we've got gladness. We've got purpose. We've got goodness. And then what's the result of that? What's the result of this type of leadership and this type of faith? It's fruit. It's fruit. And much people was added unto the Lord. And we talked about this. Man, in the beginning, before Barnabas got there, Antioch was a fruitful church. It just wasn't a sustainable church. It just wasn't achieving all of the things that God was calling it to. It wasn't being used in all of the ways it could. And so when Barnabas came and he brought with him that exhortation, the church in Antioch began to abound in new ways. There was more fruit added after Barnabas coming. Isn't that amazing? That God used this man to call the church to greater faith, greater preaching, greater evangelism, more radicality, and the result was more fruit. Praise God for that testimony. This is the type of leaders and teachers that we need in this ministry. Key point number two. To effectively live the gospel, we will need leaders who strengthen our faith. Leaders, we ought to be turning to Barnabas as an example for how we ought to be living, how we should be leading our Bible studies, how we should be discipling our disciples. Do you look like Barnabas? And you know what? I think, I think, I believe the evidence will be in the fact that you have fruit. I think the evidence of whether or not you are like Barnabas as a leader will be fruitfulness in your life. Amen? Okay, so next, you ready for, you ready for the fourth or the third, the third thing uh, that we see in the church of Antioch? The next thing is it had reliable teachers. Reliable teachers. Okay? So we had a radical approach. We had the right leaders and now we have reliable teachers. Acts 11.25 says, So as the church continued to grow, Barnabas saw he needed help. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Isn't that cool? Okay, we'll get there in a second. But verse 25 says, Then departed Paul to Tarsus. He knew where Saul would be. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Okay, so there's a lot to say about this. Okay? There's a lot to say about this. But what, what Barnabas was looking for in ministry was a proven partner. He needed a partner. And that partner needed to be proven out. Barnabas knew he needed help with the work. It was growing so rapidly he couldn't keep up with it. So he needed someone who was gifted to help with the teaching load and to disciple. Key point number three. To effectively live the gospel, we will need teachers who disciple us to live like Christ. To effectively live the gospel, there's something that we need. We need believers who are equipped and capable of discipling us so that we might live like Jesus Christ. We need examples. We need teachers. That's what we need. This ministry needs that. Kaya needs that. I, listen, if it was up to just me, let me explain something to you. I am not that gifted. 
I am I'm not that great of a leader, and I am not that good of a teacher. And, and this is how Sam always says it, right? He's one, he's one tub of butter, right? He's one tub of butter. A tub of butter runs out. There's only so much that can be spread on toast before it runs out. Okay, that's the situation that Barnabas is faced with. And what we need in ministry is we need leaders who are willing to step up and to teach. You might not even have the gift of teaching. Right? You don't need that spiritual gift to actually do teaching. It's like you might not have the gift of evangelism. That doesn't mean you're not called to evangelize. Does that make sense? So whenever you hear someone use this excuse, they don't have the gift of teaching, right? Or they're afraid to teach. That's not an excuse not to teach. We are all called to the work of discipleship. That's what Matthew chapter 28 is. That's what that's about. We're all called to that work. We're called to teach. And there's an expectation there. And what we need in ministry is people who are trained up, gifted, proven, to step out and begin to do the work of discipleship. And if you, all, if you guys aren't doing that, if you're not hearing that call and stepping up into those roles, this ministry will not be what it's supposed to be because I can't do it alone. I cannot do it alone. I need help. Barnabas needed help. John chapter 8, verse 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Listen carefully. This is what this is saying. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to continue in his word. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to continue. You have to continue to grow. You have to continue to hear the truth of God's word. And in order to do that, you need teachers. You need disciplers. You need disciplers to raise up more disciples that will, that will disciple other people also. That's what we need in our ministry. Every ministry need this, needs this. Leaders that know the book. We can't have guys assuming leadership roles who haven't proven they can compare Scripture with Scripture. We don't need that around here. We don't need leaders who have good opinions. We need leaders who know the book. There's plenty of ministries in, in, in America. There's plenty of college and young, young adult ministries that are full of incredibly hip, good-looking people to lead. With fog machines and lights and excitement. You know, we've, there's plenty of that. We don't, we, don't, we don't need that. We need college and young adult ministries with leaders who are proven. They're proven. They're teachers. They know the book. When people have questions, they can use God's word to respond. When people need counseling, they have a word for that person. And you know what? Barnabas knew just the guy. Barnabas knew just the guy. And so he went for a proven teacher, a man named Saul, who was looking for action, just like this. So we, knew, we know that Paul had a gifting to teach because there's a testimony of that in Acts chapter 9. Jump over there. Right after Paul's conversion, he was preaching in the synagogues of Damascus, the very city that he had originally gone to persecute. You guys remember that? He was headed to Damascus to persecute the Christians there, and he ended up getting saved and preaching the gospel in Damascus until he got run out. And while he was on the run, okay, it says in verse 19, Then Saul certain days with, uh, with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard with, uh, him were baptized and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which were called on the name in Jerusalem, on this name in Jerusalem? In other words, isn't this the guy that was, pre, that was trying to kill the Christians, and now he's here preaching? And, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief, chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is, ver, is very Christ. Okay, so listen to me. Alright, so before Barnabas goes to get him, he's preaching and proving who Jesus Christ is. He's teaching the gospel in the synagogues. In other words, the people were amazed at what he was teaching because he, he was a teacher. He was a man who knew the book. He was a man who was living it out. In other words, he was a proven teacher in that regard, and Barnabas knew that. Now, if you, if you fast forward, Barnabas runs into Paul 
in Jerusalem. Look at verse 26 of, of Acts chapter 9. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem on the run, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. I mean, right? They were afraid of him because his reputation was that he was a Christian killer, right? And so he comes to them as a Christian, and they have a hard time believing it. But Barnabas took him. See, this, this guy is a son of rest. He's a man of gladness. He's a man of hopefulness, right? So Barnabas, when no one else would take Saul in, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spoke, spake boldly in the name of, of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when, they, uh, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. In other words, Barnabas stood in the gap for Paul. He was there for him. He saw that Paul was proven. He saw that Paul was a brother, and he was willing to fill the gap. And now when Barnabas had a gap to be filled, Paul was there to fill it. Paul was there to fill it. These were trustworthy partners. This is what friendship in the church should look like. This is what it should look like. This is what true partnership should look like. I'm there for you, and you're there for me. And that proves that we love each other. And we need that in our leadership in the church. And we, the church in Antioch needed that example. The church in Antioch needed that example of Barnabas and Paul working together, loving one another, filling each other's gaps, striving in faith. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's what Barnabas and Paul had. They had each other's back, which is absolutely crucial in ministry. Listen to me. Everybody in this room who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ and a member of this ministry ought to be able to say a list of people who they know will have their back. I know who has my back. And the question becomes, if you don't know those people, the question is, are you like Barnabas? Have you shown yourself friendly first? Do you, have you shown yourself friendly first? Maybe the problem with your integration into the ministry has to do with the fact that you've kept people at arm's length. See, Barnabas stuck his neck out for Paul. And now Paul will do the same. It was a proven partnership. It was a trustworthy partnership. And it's a great example to us of what that should look like. And it says in verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Barnabas and Paul taught for a year. For a year. But see, listen, this wasn't the only partnership that existed. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas, that wasn't the only partnership ex that existed here. In Antioch, there was also a partnership between the learner and the teacher. There's a partnership that's taking place here that we cannot neglect. What's it say? They chose to assemble themselves for a year. Now here what's being implied, and what we know about the early church, is that the church would often gather every single day. Christians would come together almost every single day to be ministered to. And there's a commitment and a partnership between the disciplee and the discipler, in the learners and the teachers. And so while we have a partnership between leaders, we also see a partnership from leaders to those who are growing. Crucial, crucial aspect of ministry. There was a commitment from those who wanted to grow and learn. See, teaching is only possible if you have people who are willing to be taught. You know, some of you and Kaya are still in that, that visiting phase. You know, 
where it's like you've been coming for a little while, right? And, and you're beginning to see what the ministry is about. And we love that. That's, we want that. We want that in ministry. Please just come and hang out with us and be with us and, and glean from God's Word. And we pray that it's a blessing. and we, we pray that it's an encouragement to you. But listen, we desire something more from you. See, we desire to make disciples. We desire to build people up and to grow them in God's Word and to strengthen them that they might also become leaders. Now listen to me, that's only possible if you count the cost of entering into that kind of radical approach to faith. You know, there's a lot of talk of discipleship in the world. There's a lot of talk of discipleship. And you know what? There's a real lack of strategic approach. Let me just be honest with you. It's when people talk about discipleship anymore at the conferences, the discipleship conferences that, that are all over, this famous preachers are going around and talking about discipleship constantly. I don't really know what they mean by that. I don't really know, and I listen, I get on YouTube, and I listen to those guys, I won't use any names, I listen to them preach, and I try to hear what they're talking about, and they're talking about things that sound like what we do, they talk about Bible studies, and they talk about mentorship, but you know what, I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing the commitment of one person pouring their life into another person, and another person receiving and gleaning and taking that with everything that they have. In Antioch, they gathered probably almost every day for a year to hear Barnabas and Paul teach. That sounds familiar to me. That sounds like what we call biblical discipleship. That kind of life commitment, that kind of teaching, that kind of pouring in, it's radical, but it works. You know, I I know that there's people here that are in discipleship currently. And, and you know what? Maybe discipleship has been a little bit hard for you. And, there's, and listen, I know this always happens. It happens almost for everyone. There's a moment in the discipleship process where you have to count the cost again. Like you, you, everybody did COD. They filled out the form. They turned it in. Cool. You counted the cost. You know that you want it. But there's going to come a moment in the process of being discipled and invested in where you're going to say to yourself, Geez, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to meet today. I know that we're supposed to meet today, but I, and then so then the excuses come. And, and some of them are really valid. I've got to work again, or, or I've, got to, I've got to go out of town again. I, I'm so sorry that that, that that keeps happening. But what's really happening is that Satan is, in, in your heart, planting a seed of doubt that will absolutely keep you from learning. It'll keep you from growing. It'll keep you from being who God wants you to be. And I'm going to tell you right now, the church in Antioch, we don't see that there. You have to be devoted. Please do not make excuses for why you can't meet. Go all in. You don't even have to like it all the time. It might be uncomfortable. It might be difficult. Listen, just this month, I've had to have conversations with people who just weren't willing. And they're not here this morning. And I don't think it's because we taught anything crazy. I don't think it's because we taught anything unreasonable. I just don't think that they were looking for growth in a radical way. And it's hard. And I grieve that. I grieve that. But God's word is radical. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we do not have teachers to pour the word of God into us, we will not grow. You will not get it by osmosis. You won't get it by being in proximity. Okay? You will not get it because you watch lots of YouTube videos of preachers. You will not even get it because you've got sound doctrine and you know the Bible well. That is not discipleship. Discipleship is training and teaching, and you do that alongside one another, locking arms with each other. That's how discipleship takes place. Are you guys hearing me? So, reliable teachers. 
result in disciples made. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now the word Christian, as many of you guys know, means what? Little Christ. A lot of us know that. And it was used as a derogatory term by those in Antioch against the believers, against the disciples of Jesus Christ. But the disciples embraced it. I mean, I think that's a pretty positive thing to say about someone, right? Little Christ. Now note something important here. In order to be called a Christian, one had to first be what? A disciple. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You know, we, we use, someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin and I desire to follow you with my whole life. Please come into my life and save me. And we call that person a Christian. I, I just want to say, okay, that's cool. We can use that term, but I think a more biblical term for Christian is someone who looks and acts like the one who saved them. It's not good enough to just be saved. It's a person who looks and acts like the one who saved them. And, and honestly, if we're going to be biblical about this, that before you should be called a Christian, before you should be called little Christ, you should first be a disciple. You should first be a disciple. I know lots of Christians who have nothing in common with Christ. So I say that if we're going to honor and value the name of Christian, then it's probably time for us to start with discipleship. Now also note that discipleship doesn't happen by accident. Look back at all the things that preceded this moment. All, all the things that came before the Christians in Antioch were called Christian. We saw a radical approach to evangelism. We saw the right teachers and the right leaders in place ministering to the people, teaching them daily, investing them in, in them often for a whole year of pouring into these people. And the result was disciples that looked like a little Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so here's my point to you. To recap, to effectively live the gospel, we will need teachers who disciple us to live like Christ. That's what we need. That was the key point. That's, that's the point. That's what we need in, in, in our ministry. People who are willing to disciple and people who are willing to receive. Now lastly, before we go, the church in Antioch had very realistic counsel. Realistic counsel. And what I mean by that is practical living. Practical living. The people that taught them and provoked them showed them how their faith should be lived out day to day. Don't we need that? Don't we need that? Because if, if faith doesn't have arms and legs, what, what is it? It's an idea. It's something that you could practice in your bedroom. It's something that you practice in the pew. But at the end of the day, faith needs to be practical. And, and you know what? We all need realistic counsel from the pulpit. We all need realistic counsel from our Bible studies. We all need realistic counsel in our discipleship relationships. That's what we need. It, faith has to have legs and arms. Verse 27, it says, In these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there, were, that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So first of all, let's talk about this prophet thing. There's prophets here. There were prophets, there were prophets during this time. Okay, there were prophets then. Today, it's preachers. Brian already kind of preached this for me. Okay, he, he already talked about this. We have a complete word of God. 
We have a complete word of God. And with the complete word of God, we no longer have the need of men and women who foretell what's to come. We have all of the, the revealed prophecy that we need. That's what we, that's what we have in the word of God. Okay, so today what we have, what's replaced prophets, and we can see this throughout the New Testament, this transition take place, is what we have now is preachers. Okay, we have preachers. That role falls upon a preacher. Now here we have a man named Agabus who has come from Jerusalem to Antioch to give the believers there practical advice. And what is it that he says? He says, look, God has shown me by his spirit that there is going to be a famine in the land. And you need to prepare for it. You need to prepare for it. And, and, and so the, the word that was given to them was practical. It was practical. Verse 29, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. So with the insight that they were given, there was action. There was action. So think about it this way for a second. So the church in Judea would have been like the mother church, right? That would have been like where the Christians were coming from. And it's so awesome to see that these young believers were so faithful. They were such great disciples that they pulled from their pocket and gave to the church that gave to them. I mean, you can imagine for a second, it would be like if Living Faith Lee Summit or Tampa recognized for a moment that our church had some sort of need and they were quick to respond with financial giving. And so they took up an offering and they sent it to us. It's crazy, right? I mean, we, we, and we should be giving to them, right? We should be pouring into them. Our weaker sister, we're trying to build them up and bring them up. But you know what? The faith after a year of discipleship, the faith of these people was so strong. And their action was so right. And their Christianity was so true. That without hesitation... When they heard that there was a need, they gave. It was practical. We need that kind of ministry here in our church. Key point number four, to effectively live the gospel, we will need preachers who make Christian living practical. Now, how do we do that? We meet people where they're at. We enter in with the Word of God with empathy into where people are at. We see their need and we speak truth. We join ourselves to them. That's what we do. That's how we make ministry practical. Oh, did we lose? The slide's not there, huh? Okay, let me read it again. I know I did it. The slide's somewhere. Mackenzie's over there like, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> to effectively live the gospel, we will need preachers who make Christian living practical. So what do we have here? We have a thriving church in Antioch. And now listen, what we're going to see through the remainder of Acts is that this church impacts the whole world. Right doctrine comes from Antioch. Right example comes from Antioch. Antioch is the church that God used. That's what we're going to see. Now listen, do we desire to be a church that God uses? Yeah. So I don't know if we just like haven't gotten in the practice of saying amen. Like, like some of you just, I'm just not an amener. I just don't do that. Okay, listen to me. There are times where I'm going to say something that comes from God's word. All right? I, 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 I need to know that you're with me. Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Do we want to be a model missions church? Amen. Then let's start with discipleship. Let's double down on investing our lives in individuals. Now listen to me. It won't look like the rest of the church. It will not look like the cultural Christianity that we know, okay? That's a big tent mentality, big tent, you know, like a big event where you draw people in. That's a big tent mentality, okay? We aren't that people. It's slow and low. It's slow and low. Who in here loves barbecue? Okay, you know, 
that a good brisket, the finest pieces of meat that exist in mankind, are cooked. They're cooked slow and low. Now listen to me. Listen to me. You can eat, you can eat an Oscar Mayer hot dog. You can eat bologna. Okay, I want, I want my ministry to be brisket. So listen to me. We might not, listen, our church might not grow a million miles an hour. We are going to take one disciple at a time and we're going to pour our life into them and we're going to watch their lives change so that they can change the lives of other people. And it's going to be right. And we will be the model church that God wants us to be. And we will be a people full of faith that can minister and send missionaries and church planners all over the world. That's what I desire. Amen? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for a weekend devoted to discipleship. Lord, I, th- I also want to thank you, God, for making ministers in this, in this fellowship that have spent their, literally their whole weekend, from Friday to this point, even tomorrow, ministering and making sure that, you, that the preaching of your word goes forward without a hitch. And I'm so proud of them. I'm so thankful for them. They minister to my soul. And God, I pray that your blessing would be upon every one of these people that have sacrificed this weekend. God, I also want to pray to you and I want to ask you that you would bless our ministry. That we would be a discipleship ministry. We'd be about making disciples. And that we would exemplify the Great Commission the same way that we see here in Antioch. That we would be able to send from this class, from this group of people, church planners. That there would be more people like Brooks Sidebottom. People that are unafraid. People who are willing. Because long ago, when they first became a disciple of Jesus Christ, they determined that they were going to follow you to the ends of the earth. Make us that kind of people, God. In Jesus' name, amen.